Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. We continue our series on the different approaches to understanding chapter 28 of the first book of Samuel. That's Shmuel Aleph Perak Chav Ches. And we mentioned in the first in this series the approach of the Ramban and all of those commentators um, who follow his uh, philosophy. And that was what I called the uh, end of the spectrum, in other words, the most extreme of the mystical uh, uh, approaches towards understanding the world around us, which was the idea that, that, that there are mystical spiritual forces, both of good and evil in the world, and we as Jews are allowed to, are supposed to tap into those good forces. And the way to tap into those good forces are by fulfilling the mitzvot, by fulfilling the commandments that God gave us, which are to live a good and proper life and follow the rules and laws of the Torah. And, um, and, as, uh, and on the flip side, one can use all kinds of mechanisms, if one knows these things, to tap into the evil forces and so on. And that mistake, the mistake that Saul made was by trying to tap into God's forces, not by doing what he asked him to do, but rather by, by uh, magical ritualistic ways, um, and then failing, he put Saul at risk of making the ultimate mistake, which was what he unfortunately did, which was to go to the necromancer and tap into the evil forces. And that approach, we said that the, the uh, reading of this chapter is, is pretty straightforward, um, and, and we understood that what the necromancer actually did was actually bring up the spirit of Samuel from the dead, because in this outlook on life, um, these, these kinds of things are real. And... Um, and that was what Saul tapped into. So that was approach number one. Approach number two is um, slightly less uh, uh, on the mystical scale, moving closer towards what we would call the rationalistic end, which we'll get to, but we're not quite there yet. So we're going to move a little bit down the line away from, and that is the idea that these supposed evil forces in the world it sim- do simply do not exist. Um, there's no such thing as, as demons. There's no such thing as bringing up the spirits of the dead. All of this is nonsense, right? That, 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 um, that it can't be that there are evil forces in the world. It simply doesn't fit into a, a Jewish philosophy according to these thinkers. The primary thinker who, and when you go through the, uh, the commentaries on this chapter and in other places, the primary thinker who espouses this view is Rabbeinu Saadia Gon, right? The great Gon, the leader the, um, uh, 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 from the Gonic period, um, <clears throat> Rabbeinu Saadia Gon, who said that this is simply not true. There's no such thing as these these demonic forces and these evil forces and the ovot v'yid onim, these, those that speak to ghosts and spiritualists are completely, it's false. It's simply not true. However, the, the possibility of tapping into holy forces, right, the, the ability of God doing things which are miraculous or, or, um, or are, or are, um, I mean, it's hard to say, uh, well, miraculous or to spiritually intervene in such ways that we can witness spiritualistic and, 
miraculous things that are beyond our capability of explaining through basic, simple uh, scientific endeavors, that certainly does exist according to this mode of thought. So therefore, um, if God wants to intervene in such a way as to perform something which is supernatural, something which is out of the realm of ordinary human experience, that can certainly happen. So um, according to this view, the way this, this chapter is being read is similar to the first way, but with some very significant and some very important differences, which we are going to uh, point out. And when, you look, when looked at in this way, what happened here? Let's go back again. Saul gets rid of the ovot onim. He gets rid of all of the necromancers and the spirit talkers from <clears throat> the world, from his kingdom. Why does he do that? <clears throat> because, um, because, well, first of all, he's commanded to do so. The Torah says that we need to get rid of them. And also because they are a bunch of baloney, right? They are simply not true. In other words, he doesn't want people, you know, it, it, no, these are completely false. These are wrong. The Torah says not to do them. And at least part of the reason why the Torah says not to do them is because they're not true. They don't work, right? If one wants to bring good things into their lives, then one should turn to God. One should live the proper life and turn to God. Now, when Saul goes ahead and makes the mistake, right, well, Saul is now, I'm sorry, he's now in a difficult position. He gets into a position where he sees the Philistines have an overwhelming force arrayed against him, and he sees that this battle has a very big potential to go very badly for him and for the people of Israel whom he is responsible to lead. Um, so he turns to God, and he asks for help from God. Again, he makes that mistake. Rather than doing what being humble and accepting upon himself God's judgment that he is already aware of, that he should step down as king and hand over the leadership to David, right? He doesn't do that because he's too arrogant to do that. He's too arrogant to recognize that he's made a mistake. So he turns to God through, through prayer, through uh, trying to get to see God in visions, trying to speak to God through him, through signs, etc., but nothing works. So now what does he do? He goes to, he asks to see a necromancer. Now think about it for a moment. Saul had just, in this respect, right, this is very different from the first approach. In the first approach, when Saul went to the necromancer, he knew he was going to the evil forces, right? Now, Saul is saying all of the time that I have been saying that there's no truth in that, that there's no truth in the, in the, in the, in the evil forces, in the black art, so to speak, that they're a bunch of baloney, they're not true, they don't work, all of a sudden he is willing to go to something which part of him at least knows is a bunch of baloney, right? In other words, he is willing to, to, set, to pretty much bet the security and safety of the people of Israel, uh, you know, even more than his own king. First of all, he's willing to bet his own kingdom plus the safety of the people of Israel, on something which is completely not true, right? And something which is total baloney, on the off chance that maybe it is, 
it is valuable. Maybe he'll get something. In other words, he'll doubt himself. It's kind of like when a person relies upon a cure that he knows a person has been taught, is saying his whole life, a doctor's been saying, for example, that this particular uh, uh, fruit juice, he knows doesn't cure cancer. But when he's struck with cancer, he's willing to go and say, you know what, I'll drink the juice, right? Just because, who knows, maybe it works, Right? So Saul is showing such a tremendous amount of, of irresponsibility and really being willing to bet on something that doesn't even work, right? Because he's so arrogant and unwilling to actually recognize the truth and actually step down from being the king, which is what he knows God wants him to do. He'd rather depend on something, well, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll work. It's like buying a lottery ticket a, a, a person is a governor or or a, the president of a country who's in an economic crisis, and he'll save the people by what? By buying a lottery ticket, and maybe I'll win, and then I could pay off all the debts, and it will be fine. You know, uh, rather than face up and own up to the difficulty of what's facing him. So this this approach of Rabbi Nusajigon gives us a, a, a new spin, a new understanding of what Saul is doing here and the mistake that he's making. His willingness to throw in his lot with something that he already knows is a bunch of baloney. But then it gets even more fascinating because as we continue reading through the chapter, Saul goes to this woman who's the, who's the necromancer and he asks her to bring up the spirit of Samuel. And lo and behold, the spirit of Samuel comes up. All of the sudden, now, according to Rabbi Nusajigon, he explains that what happened here was not that the, the Balat Ov, not that the necromancer successfully brought up the spirit of Samuel, but what we're witnessing here is a, is a miracle from God himself. It was God that saw the situation and said, you know what? He wants to talk to the spirit of Samuel. I will bring up the spirit of Samuel, which then all of a sudden explains why the woman was in verse 12 in chapter 28. It says, The woman saw the spirit of Samuel, and she screamed in a loud voice. What's this screaming? This woman brings up dead spirits all the time for a living. Well, she was screamed because all of a sudden, the dead spirit came up, which was pretty shocking to her. But all of a sudden, now, what would think about now what should go through the mind of Saul and go through the mind of this woman? What should go through the mind of Saul is that, oh my, right? The people, uh, the, the, the people that claim to speak to these spirits I know is a bunch of baloney. These dark arts, black magic, etc., whatever you want to call it, right? Necromancy is not true as a bunch of baloney. But here God brought up the spirit of Shmuel to talk to me in order that I learned the lesson that I'm supposed to learn, right? And that is to be humble and step down so that I can save the people of Israel which is what Samuel told him. Because you're too stubborn, you're not going to win and you're going to perish in this upcoming battle. It also explains why suddenly this woman, who we have to assume was not of the highest moral character and highest moral quality, suddenly after the, the spirit of Samuel comes up, she ends up treating the people, Saul and his men, so nicely. And, and, and we talk about her as she went and prepared a meal, a nice meal for them, and told them you need to eat and be strong so that you can fight in the battle and so on. 
she all of a sudden becomes this wonderful person because she just witnessed something. Until now, she was an expert at tricking people, at fooling people, to think that they're bringing up spirits. And all of a sudden, the spirit actually came. So now she sees, you know what? This is something special. This is something important. And all of a sudden, the woman turns around and says, you know, let me give you something to eat. Let me treat you right. Let me treat you well. And all of a sudden, she's being depicted almost as if and I'm not sure if I pointed this out in the podcast when I originally read the chapter. It, it's it's it, the parallel as raised by many commentaries of the story of Sarah when she in in the book of Genesis when when the uh, angels came to visit Abraham and and inform him of the news that that uh, of the birth of Isaac. So Sarah went into the tent and prepared them a meal and everything, and she's depicted, this woman here, this necromancer, is depicted almost like the Sarah. In some, some cases, some of the same phrases are being used because she just had this massive transformation. Before she was this necromancer, all of a sudden she sees at this crucial time that God intervenes and an actual miracle occurs. So according to Rabbeinu Sajigon, this would be the understanding. So now the lesson here being... Number one, the willingness of Saul to rely on nonsense. It shows the ability of all of us, that weakness that we have, when we're in a dire strait, in a dire situation, what we're supposed to do is look to God. What we're supposed to do is be humble and accept our fate upon ourselves and tell ourselves, what is it, how is it that God wants me to behave? What is it that am I supposed to do? Not in order to get a specific result, Maybe I'll do what God wants. Maybe I'll live a good life. Maybe I'll do the right thing. Maybe I'll act the right way. And maybe God will decide. Maybe my, you know, the end result will not be good. But the bottom line is I'm supposed to worship and, and, and serve God in the way that I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to live a righteous and just and proper life because that's what I'm supposed to do, period. Right? But then we go ahead and think, well, maybe, maybe, maybe there's some chance. So I'll go buy a lottery ticket which is the equivalent of saying, I'll go do this nonsensical thing because maybe I'll, mix, I'll get some magical spirit. Not all of us are, are the king of the people of Israel that God will perform a miracle to us in order to teach us that this is not true. But um, here one wonders also, we see what went through the mind of this woman who knew for a fact that she had been fooling people all this time and saw and witnessed a miracle. But what went through the mind of Saul? Did he think all of the sudden that, oh no, um, maybe there is a force to this black magic and now I can't even access that? Or did he look at this and realize this was a miracle from God and I'm toast and I'm done? But again, he was too stubborn to say, you know what? It's time for me to step down. Rather, he still went ahead and, and remained king and fought the battle and lost. So one thinks, what was going through Saul's head when he saw this? Did he realize this was God speaking to him? Or did he think that, um, that, uh, you know, uh, in, that, this, that there was some reality to the, ov- to the, to the actions of the, ov- of, the, of the spiritualist? That I think you can take in several directions and it's something interesting to think about. So this would be the second approach the approach of Rabbeinu Sajigon, which is mystical in the sense that it, it allows for God to intervene and that this, this turns into a story of a miracle uh, along with many miracles as mentioned in Tanakh, a miracle of God 
of bringing up the spirit of Samuel to talk to Saul and deliver this message. So now we have two understandings. We have the Ramban approach and the Rabinu Sajigon approach. And in the next podcast, we will go through a third approach and understanding as we move towards the more uh, 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 rationalistic side of the commentaries on this incredibly interesting chapter from which originally it seemed so bizarre, but now we see how much we can learn from it and how much we can gain from it. Thank you so much for studying this together with me. Looking forward to continuing our discussion and getting some serious understanding and lessons from this chapter 28 and from, of course, the entire book of Samuel and the entire Tanakh.